Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time for Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters. Alright, good morning everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. It's already the middle of May. Would you believe it? I can believe no, it. No, I wouldn't believe it. It's going fast. These Memorial Day weekend is in like two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah, you gotta love it though. Um, sure, you gotta love it though. I went I went for a walk last night after a pretty long day of work. Started the walk with my dog and my wife at like seven twenty and finished. I don't know. Finished after eight o'clock. Surely after eight o'clock, and um, it was fully light. You know, no rushing to get home. Like oh, it's getting dark. No rushing to get home. Oh, it's getting dark. Just uh, it's beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, you can go start golfing at 3 in the afternoon and still get done. When I was a kid, we would just play baseball until it was like you couldn't see where you were hitting. What are you looking at, Jim? Something sounds funny? Yeah, Mike's Mike's mic doesn't seem right to me. Mike, what's wrong with your mic? I don't know. I can't hear myself. Maybe you should slide this way and use... Let's put it on three. Let's try three. Test this one. Go like this. Test, test. Test, test, test. Sounds a lot better. I was wondering Does if it, it was just him. Did you think it was kind of just him? Yeah. He well, has that kind of tinny quality to his voice that sounds anyway, like... Let's try on three. I bet some sort of animal got below the board yesterday. And knocked a wire out? Yeah. Oh, there you go. That's a good way to open the show. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's... No, not like animal. Like a dog, probably. Yeah. That's an animal. Dog or a cat. We're well, I thought we are you, animals. You Jay. looked up like you thought there might be like ravenous ferrets under the table here or <laughs> no, something. No, no, There's no. not. Dave has. Dave is a, he's an animal planet. lover and he has like he, uh, yeah. he does his own oh, version oh, of oh. Animal Planet right here in the studio. And of course, I wouldn't be able to. That's, That's why we'll that figure would probably be better we'll as a TV out. show, not a radio show, right? Uh, every now and Actually, again, it works I, out really well. I step yeah, in a but... bowl of water or something over here mm-hmm. or a bowl of food. Something got knocked. Something got knocked up. Engineering. Yeah, maybe it's just my headset and I can't hear myself. No, I'm just no, gonna. No, I nobody can you. hear you. <laughs> yeah, I assure you. Okay. Well, then, All right. Jay, well, you yeah. should probably stop. You should probably start talking. Yeah, let me give that a shot. Um, then we, we'll leave you on three. When we last week we ended up having to do a last minute rerun show. I understand we got some wires crossed, and I was scheduled off, so I don't oh. want to be implicated as. You know, part of the problem, my birthday weekend, and you know, and I took the Saturday off to mm-hmm. to not be here. Is what happened, and then everybody well, else did it. too. You I guess. It. Yeah. That's so okay. no comment. Evidently, it was Mike's mistake, and so um, mm-hmm. Dan took today off and is having Mike come in today. I guess for some sweet um, revenge for having him drive all the way out here last week sit down in the studio only to find out there was no co-pilot yeah mm-hmm. that's always an awkward call it's 901 and dan says are you coming yeah uh, you know i'm in cambria and i found out about it you know i hate you too because i found out at 904 <laughs> that i had to put in a rerun anyway it was that's very okay, smooth. it's okay mike very it's smooth. okay very smooth 
Is that yeah. hard to do on a minute's notice? Uh, I have, I just, you know, I'm magic. I have a backup. I have a backup plan always. You're with, like a radio Superman. There it is. Really? There it is. Like backup plans. Spe okay. Speaking of backup plans. <laughs> Dan, <have> just, <laughs> Dan just texted me right now and said, I didn't even know I had the day off today. <laughs> is he out in the lot or something ready to come uh, in and say, Dan, we have an open microphone. If you're listening, through, come in and sit down. He couldn't get through we'll, the gate this morning. We'll fit you on, yeah, no hilarious. problem. Hilarious. We'll have a great show today. We'll have uh, Jerry Reynolds from Patriot Valuations, a, a local appraiser on the show. Sounds exciting. Yeah, and uh, I know that not only is it is it something that someone who wants to sell their house interested in, but also someone that wants to refi their house is interested, going to be interested to hear what Jerry has to say. And also those people that believe appraisers just sort of categorically undervalue things as a matter of like desire. We'll get into that. <laughs> we'll get into that. Yeah. Uh, Jerry's a great guy. I had a chance to have coffee with him earlier and um, he migrated here from the East Coast. We'll get into all that. So stick Sweet. around for that. So last week would have been the first, um, yeah, last week would have been like the, the first show after the jobs report. And uh, that's usually a pretty fun little segment. Now it's old news. So I only wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, I'm sure you saw. I'm sure you know. I'm sure you guys know. The first Friday of the month. Are you upset about the microphone thing right now? You look like I'm it's really bugging you. It out, tell you know. what, I'll tell you what. Just put your feet up we'll over relax. there. When we get to the first commercial break, I'm going to crawl under there and I'll figure it out for you. Yeah, okay. I, I can oh, chase sure. that wire. <laughs> no, we'll get it. I can chase that no, wire. That's, still, that's why I'm engineering still not 100% gets the big confident that anyone's hearing what I'm saying. But. Oh, absolutely. Okay. You're you're being heard fine now. Could you not hear yourself Can't in hear your myself. headphones? It's fine. Um, it's probably better that way. Switch your headphones over to the controls here that you're on the microphone that you're using. And adjust that knob in a clockwise fashion until you can hear yourself. Something's all. That's how you know it's live radio. Well, yeah, it's, you know. By the and way, the guys, mouse don't use that mic. So this, this is, is also an opportunity yeah. for me to remind you that we are not paid to do this show. We are <laughs> not, not radio professionals, and you cannot judge us um, in uh, any negative way hearing. based on what we're. Can Let's you hear see. yourself now? Loud and clear. So now you have confidence that you're being broadcast to the masses. Mm -hmm. All right. It's payback for Dan not being here. That's well, his you're mic asking normal. me questions, and I'm assuming that all these people listening think I'm just sitting here not knowing anything, <laughs> oh, no, you're not good. responding. You're, you're good. fine. Yeah, you're good. Let's put that issue to rest now, Mike. We're confident we can hear you. You are too. <laughs> Might be some narcissism there, but anyways, jobs report. Yeah, jobs report. Um, so interestingly enough, I was in a meeting a few weeks ago, and one of the old timers in the meeting said, "You get tired of." Figuring that the way the unemployment numbers calculated or the way inflation's calculated, they seem to adjust the measurement for the times to help make things sound better than they actually are. It's quite, quite sugar-coated. I said, well, I think so. I mean, I think that happens, I guess. I'm not positive. I understand exactly what the full motivation of it is, but sure. And so... Um, here we found the job report for April, um, and this is sort of how it's been wrapped up, is that the now you need to dig a little bit deeper to understand why after April added only 160,000 jobs. And I'm inserting only there. I'm one of the few guys around that wants to use the word only uh, because economists and the big 
publication, um, you know, the mass media is wanting you to believe that 160 is actually robust. And if you keep reading, here's why. Um, I'm going to stick with only. Um, I, from what I remember from yesteryear and kind of tracking these numbers for a fair while, there's a certain amount of jobs that just have to be created to keep up with population growth. There's a certain amount of jobs that have to be created to keep up with economic growth. Part of being capitalist means that you're you're growing this thing. You know, in capitalism, if you're not growing, you're kind of atrophying and dying, right? Wouldn't you agree? Agreed. This is why we have to have a positive GDP. If you have if you have months and quarters of negative GDP and your economy's not growing, it's in fact then contracting. And it and in both cases, I think our economy is just like baseball. It's wildly contagious. You know, whatever's going on tends to keep going on until something majorly interrupts it. And so um it's always been my understanding that, you know, we're supposed to be adding about 150,000 jobs a month to keep up with that growth, keep up with that population growth, keep our GDP in positive ground. Um, and so we've averaged over the last 12 months over 200,000 jobs added per month. And that, I would argue, is um, an acceptable rate of job growth. Before the adjustment. We also know that we've added back the amount of jobs that were shed during the, you know, the first years of the recession. Um, we know that those aren't all head of household jobs, yep. hourly earnings. Those things aren't quite as good as they were pre-recession. That being said, for the last 12 months, we've been plus 200 or more thousand jobs uh, per month. So this month in April, we got a reading of 160,000 jobs. The unemployment rate held steady at 5%. Um, wages went up 0.3%, which, um, is good. I don't think anybody's upset about that. Um, and so then here's what we, here's what we were told, um, that it's, it's really important to look at the overall outlook of the economy. It's not just the number of jobs that matter and who's getting the jobs, what they're being paid is also, um, important. Um, so what we found here is that we're basically being being told that 160,000 jobs was um, is good. We should be happy about it. Um, coupling into that, by the way, this last week we had um, Boston Fed President Eric Rosengreen. By the way, this is one of the current um, open market committee voters. So this guy's got a vote in the policy direction that the, the feds are providing us in terms of interest rates. Uh, he said, interest rate markets are wrong. The market remains too pessimistic about the fundamental strength of the U.S. economy and the likelihood of um, removing monetary accommodation is higher. It's kind of an interesting thing. Um, you know, think about this where by the time the Fed meet next time, that's going to be at the end of June. There's no meeting scheduled for May. So there's a rate hike on the table for June. I would assume that this jobs report would downplay that number. Um, there seems to be mixed numbers in uh, the economy right now causing some concern. Did you happen to see that article this week that said no matter who the next president is, um, he or she will likely face a recession? I did not. 
It's kind of interesting, and I guess it makes sense. I mean, if you consider that a presidential term is four or eight years, are we likely to see some sort of a market correction or recessionary time in the next four to eight years? Sure. I mean, if you look backwards, and it's it's all cyclical, right? You look backwards. Yeah. And then also, so that was was really um, Friday the 6th. That we got these job report numbers, like I said, because we had an unexpected rerun show last week. We missed this data. It's a touch stale. But freshening up this data uh, two days ago, uh, we got a read for initial jobless claims. Initial jobless claims come out every Thursday morning. And we stopped talking about initial jobless claims for a while because they were down to pre-recession lows, um, kind of just became boring data to talk about how great you know the, those metrics were that um, essentially every week we're just reporting that um, a, almost a record few amount of people are showing up for a first time unemployment uh, claim, right? Hmm. On Thursday the 5th, almost 10 days ago, what we heard was that those jobless claims hit like a five-week high. So, well, no big deal. Um, This Thursday, we hit a 14-month high, um, adding 20,000 new applications for that first-time jobless claim, making it to 294,000 on the week. Those numbers that were down in the 230, 240, 250 for quite a while now seem like they're inching back up. And it's interesting that that's happening in this season right now where um, it's getting harder, I think, to blame the weather, harder to blame the things that we typically want to blame. And um, so anyways, that was kind of an interesting thing. uh, uh, What's going on in the jobs market, maybe a little bit unsettled there. We also had a um, a read this last week for retail sales. Right. This is potentially a bright spot, um, showing up 1.3% higher than expected. And um, there was an interesting article on, on Yahoo Finance that was describing... Um, you know, this this week's retail numbers, Nordstrom, I'm sorry, this month, I should say, Nordstrom posted that um, they're, they seem to be getting back on track. Um, well, let me correct that. It says that Nordstrom hit a fresh 52-week low in early trading. The high-end department store chain slashed its outlook for the year and said it will need to make further adjustments to clear inventory. Um J.C. Penney likewise said that things didn't go well for them, nor did they last quarter. They they posted a smaller than expected loss. Revenue fell short. A forecast due to worse than expected same store sales growth. Dillard's also posted disappointing first quarter results. Profit and revenue fell from a year prior. Shake Shack, Are you familiar with Shake Shack? Um, I. I thought I, this must be an East Coast thing because I read this and wasn't entirely sure um, what was happening there. But uh, anyways, they were... I have not heard of them. They were cited in the numbers too. 
So anyways, that retail sales number is looking good, but some of these majors that are polled are still grappling with trying to figure out how to get on track and stay on track. Um, in this article that felt slightly disconnected or disjointed, I might say, um, they bring up this fact that Trump is um, gunning for Amazon now. And I say disjointed because when you want to talk about, um, you know, Dillard's, J.C. Penney, Nordstrom, yeah, those are retailers that we can look to to kind of see trends. But what's going on at Amazon? That seems like the Amazon seems like the company du jour that um, is sort of serving all of these needs and perhaps responsible for why some of these other boxy stores might be starting to lose a little bit of traction. It's getting a little, um, I mean, and it's been this way, I guess, but it's a bit convenient now to use Amazon and it seems like more and more people are. I couldn't agree with you more. I had that conversation with my father-in-law while he was here. We're talking about stocks and their values and this was a week ago you know before this this sell-off happened on friday of the 13th that amazon is just absolutely convenient not only for the young individual but the older individual as well it's pretty neat i mean i, I there's so first of all i mean we've the, we've talked about a lot on the shows of the importance of being able to shop local spend money local have your local dollars here um, i want to point out a couple things number one amazon is a local employer for us there are a lot of people here that work for amazon um, I know, I know so because I've helped quite a few of them buy houses and then, you know, also refinance houses. So Amazon is a bit of a local employer. That being said, when you make a purchase from Amazon, I think that a lot of those dollars are being piped out of the community. Um, but Amazon, one of the convenience factors of it, if you're looking for an obscure, hard to find part from a car that might only be available at a car dealership. And maybe even a dealership that we don't have here, like, for example, Lexus or uh, one of those where you, you're going to end up needing to get a part from somewhere. Amazon has those things. Yeah. Um, and then likewise, I, I just learned just this week I was talking to a gal at work who's using Amazon Pantry. I use Amazon Pantry. You do? I had no idea this even existed. Um, evidently, it's a box that... Each item you place in it is going to take up a percentage of what remains in the box. And there, you can select grocery and kind of household items Staples, that, yeah. Yeah, that fill the box. And they're um, relatively affordable. I mean, they, they seem to be well-priced. I think the idea is that yeah. because Amazon Prime, those of you that have Amazon Prime know that your Amazon Prime purchase includes free shipping. Well, it's built into the cost of the product, right? That's how they figure out how to price the product. They're not going to lose money on the shipping. On the When you do the pantry thing, basically what they're doing is trying to get you to carpool your purchases into one box. Right. And they can discount that shipping price out and get you closer to that kind of that co-op or wholesale price for what else ends up in the box. So I went to Amazon Prime this week, kind of, um, or pantry this week. As, as a noob, you know, I, okay, well, I'll bite. Um, I didn't get to select my box size, but I started putting things in the box and um, was like, wow, <laughs> look at that. You can get shampoo like that struck me as, you know, five or six dollar bottle of shampoo looked like it was like two or three bucks. So anyway, the Amazon thing, I think, is just a bit too convenient. Um, and perhaps it's going to start changing the model a little bit with what you see 
in the brick and mortar stores. Yeah. I mean, we kind of saw that with, um, oh, what are the name of those bookstores we used to like? Barnes and Nobles. Barnes and Nobles. Uh, they were around. The Borders, Borders was another Borders. one that Borders was around. Closed up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're just, you know, they're getting a little bit more few and far between as people use the readers or the e-readers and, and buy books sure. online and that kind of thing. Um, so it's definitely so a change. I mean, technology brings good things to the household. It also hurt, can hurt the economy, the local economy. What I would say is this though, you know, you look at, um, some of the things we're talking about right now is just, you know, underperforming stocks. But w- what I feel like people need to realize, I think it's what you're kind of alluding to with the June fed meeting coming up is that there are so many things involved in this equation for the feds to raise rates. And, you know, I can't sit here today and say they will or they won't, but, you know, you start realizing the complexities of our Federal Reserve team that sits down and tries to raise those rates. And then you, you try to bring that into your household, you know, should I, should I refinance now? Should I wait? Those types of things. It's, it's quite complicated, you know? Yeah. I mean, I was reading this week about some of the financial stocks that are down and off of their 52 week highs. And some of them, uh, one in particular was down like 45%. And Solar City's down as well, just been undervalued. Well, or just been recognized for being overvalued. That's what I was going to say is, you know, when we had the these the mix up in the economy and sort of the shake up and volatility that's been going on for a little while, um, perhaps some of those companies were just overvalued and now coming back to reality. I concur. The Dow closed yesterday at 17.5 and some change. Um, so nothing too game changing there. Um, the 10-year bond yield settled up at 1.71 yesterday. Wow. That's pretty good. Wow. It was only a few weeks ago that we were starting to feel like we were drawing to the end of the refi boom. And, um, you know, as we saw that yield was, oh, just sitting right there at 1.99 and about to hit some triggers when it crosses two, it marks the the bottom of a new range. So it has this upside and mm-hmm. it means that interest rates are likely to go with it. And to see it sort of bump into that ceiling and then come reeling back down. I mean, the 52 week low on the 10 year bond yield, you're still talking is like 1.57. So it's a, it's up in the middle of the range of where it's traded. Um, but it was the absent of the volatility again this week's been kind of nice. I mean, it basically trended ever since the jobs report last week, it kind of trended down a tick or two a day. Um, so we're back to the spot where interest rates are really, really good, um, in creating another bit of a refi boom. Um, so some of you are wondering what a refi boom is, we need to do a commercial break here. It's 927, so we got to take a few minutes, slip in the, these notes for our sponsors. Also going to crawl under this here desk and find that unplugged cable for Jerry. There Jimbo. it is, yeah. yeah. Yep. That way we can get Mike back on his... <laughs> then we can Number return Mike to there. his home mic. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, what would we do without you, Jay? I don't know. Hey, man. He's I'm an all-around great guy. I'm we, just a problem yeah, solver, yeah. you know? That's, that's the one thing I'm good for. You know, i got a problem with Dan, actually, right now. He, he's listening. Been, to, talk yeah. right to him. How many times have I been promised one of those spiffy Central Coast lending hats? 
I feel like at least twice. Yeah. I feel like you were do about I, to exaggerate it to be me, a lot more than twice. Do you just see me wearing one right now? No, and I would love it if you would cover up that bigger part of your head. With yeah, exactly. Well, I would too. Such a good-looking yeah, hat. There so it is, right on. We're, I know he's listening because yeah, he's yeah, texted yeah. me a couple times already. He's kind of a, just pep-talking me here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, well, I know he knows. So he's on point now. Next, <laughs> next, Dan, next week yeah. you had better show up with a hat for Jim. What's your preferred hat size, Jim? Oh, I, I, the, probably the one you're wearing. I yeah. can tell. Yeah, yeah. I seven think, and a half. Yeah, seven and a half, seven three quarters. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Okay. Well, that was a big stretch, though. Seven, a, seven yeah. and a half to seven and three quarters. You tried yeah, to like whatever. sneak in there that you have a freakishly large head. <laughs> yeah, that quarter point can be. <laughs> That's big in head size. <laughs> All right, really, we're gonna do a commercial break, and I'll be back in a couple minutes with more mortgage matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk nine twenty. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. Our loans are not trucked in from some big bank. They're raised right here on the Central Coast. No hormones, no GMOs, no antibiotics. Call today and get your gluten-free mortgage from a caring lender that knows you only accept the best for your family. Just call Central Coast Lending. Refi or refinance a home. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. All aboard! <laughs> Jim, I can play this on guitar. You can. That part. It's yeah. really easy. Yeah. Could you do the all aboard at the beginning? I can't even do it. Not like Ozzy. No. no. We're talking about Rockstar Hero, right? Or whatever that game is. No, I'm just talking about. No, man. 
I don't do that. Do I look this like a video game guy to you? At yes. all? Yes. At all? You don't play video games. No. You've never played Tiger Woods Golf. I mean, I have that. I've done that. But, like, you, I mean, it's. I have an Xbox One in my living room. I have not played a video game on it this year mm. in 2016. By the way, Mike is back on his regular mic. Yeah, we got. Sound, you and I high five, dude. Yeah. We figured it out. They figured it was weird. Mike's on mic <laughs> one. We got Mike's mic working. There it is. Perfect. There it is. I went and got another cup of coffee, and these guys nerded out on some wire stuff. Yeah. I crawled under there. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, it. it's live radio. It takes what it takes around here, yeah. man. MacGyver fixes on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> Good news is, while they were doing that, I was able to go and greet our guest for today, Jerry Reynolds from Patriot Valuation. And he's here with us. Jerry, welcome. Hey, thank you. Appreciate you coming to the show. Uh, again, Jerry's an appraiser here locally. Um, I know I've seen you do... I mean, you're busting your tail. I've seen you do quite a few reports. Um, mm -hmm. Yep. For those that, that don't know that are listening, uh, when we order an appraisal for a purchase transaction or a refinance, we actually go through an appraisal management company now. We, yeah, it's the appraiser independence, right? What's all the right yep. words for it? I mean, that that's what uh, it was called, huh? Yeah, HVCC. HVCC. The Home so. Valuation Code of Conduct. Right. So this came out in 2010-ish? Uh, something like that. Somewhere it was nine. after the meltdown. Yeah, so here's the, here's the gist of it for those of you trying to follow along at home. Uh, it used to be that we picked appraisers, uh, we being the lender, the loan officer, somebody with a relationship to an appraiser. And generally, uh, I mean, there's there was good and bad with that. The good was the people we picked were the ones that were professional and punctual and did really good work. Um, it, there wasn't too much differentiation between what appraisers charged for reports, but um, the bad part of it was if I'm spoon feeding you 10 or 15 or 20 orders a month from my company and then I call and I say, hey, Jerry, I'm doing this loan for a real good friend of mine and if his appraisal comes in for any less than 440, the whole thing blows up. It's going to make me look like a real chump. Jerry, I need you to get this house worth 440. I would say, sorry, can't help you. <laughs> well, there were, you know, and I wasn't a big part of that. I, I got to admit, I mean, I was ordering appraisals directly from appraisers back then, um, and we didn't push the values around too much. My favorite thing about the structure then was I could, my conversations went more like this. Jerry, this deal turns into a pumpkin if it can't be worth 440. Should I stop now or is it worth going on? And you would say... Give me a minute. I'm going to work on this, and I'll call you back. And then call back and say, dude, it's not going to happen. That's right. And then we pulled the plug. We didn't waste all the time and the paper and the disclosures and the money, and we just moved on. Um, but anyways, that's sort of the baby with the bathwater part of it. What happened was in order to rid this whole process of any of that collusion that's happening, the government passed the Home Valuation Code of Conduct, which means that... Now there's a middleman between me, the orderer, so that I can't select and steer the report to a particular appraiser. We order through a clearinghouse, which is known as the appraisal management company. They have lists of uh, eligible appraisers on their roster who will get assigned the report or 
get to pick the report if you pick it up quick or you know, they all do it a little bit different. But it removes that ability from a loan officer being able to pressure an appraiser into a made-to-order report, right? That's correct. So how has that changed the business for you? Um, well, what you were talking about before where you would uh, call me up personally and say, hey, Jerry, we got a loan. Um, uh, well, we did a lot of – back in those days was what they call a comp check. You basically just do a quick search and tell uh, – you could tell the loan officer, hey, look at – you know, values are 400 and above they're sell, or they're selling 300 and below in the neighborhood. So you're right. It did eliminate – a lot of wasted time and the expense on the borrower's part. Um, but from now, you know, it's a, uh, you deal with AMCs, appraisal management companies now, and a lot of these are nationwide. Um, I had a lot of these customers when I used to live on the East Coast, same customers when I moved out here. Um, uh, so I, but, so it's good from that standpoint. You can get a lot of orders. I'm on a lot of approved lists. I'm still approved by Central Coast Lending or uh, Chase or, you know, um, what's sure. another one? Flagstar. You still got to be approved by all these lenders. And then you get on the AMCs, you get on their list. So you get on the rotation. So it's, it's good. It worked out. Um, I think it's sometimes somehow it's a little bit easier to break into the business because back in the old days you had to know somebody yeah. Yeah. you had to know a mortgage broker and or you ever spend some of your time out networking yeah, yeah. Absolutely. absolutely going to the offices and you wifey made you some cupcakes and yeah. <laughs> here by the way here's my business card i'll do an appraisal if you need me that's right so now, now you don't have that personal relationship with the uh, mortgage brokers. You have the personal relationship with the AMCs. So. There's been a few, you know, one of the things that everybody said would happen is, oh, well, now that the appraiser doesn't need to have the relationship or the networking or those personality skills, you know, you're just all, you're opening up to all the low-lying fruit. And one of the things we've figured out now is, that really didn't happen very much. Yeah, there were some appraisers, I think, that ended up a lot busier because they weren't good at that networking part or for whatever reason, this is just a better, easier business model for them to sign up with AMCs sure. instead of hustle for mm -hmm. you know those individual relationships. But the appraisers we know that have um, delivered problematic reports, the ones that are you know, over conditioned and causing us problems where we can't get them done, or we get enough feedback from clients that they're late or they were stood up or the appraiser showed up, you know, smelling like cigarettes and looking homeless. And, you know, so you kind of go, oh, okay. Those over time, those people sort of landed on the ineligible lists and it's been cleaned up more that way. So it's not as much of a problem as I think as, as people suggested that it was. Uh, but surely you're not doing work just for the AMCs, right? Oh, no. it's You do appraisals for all kinds of reasons. Um, when I first got into this, I had no idea what an appraisal was. And I started, uh, I kind of stumbled into it and I started taking the classes and everything. And I realized that this business is unlimited because everybody at some point in time needs somebody to tell them what it's worth. And so you end up doing appraisals for a lot of different reasons. Uh, divorce. Um, estate, somebody sure. passes away, uh, you know, well, you do, but the bulk of them it is for a financial institution, a financial transaction. Sure. And every federally re regulated mortgage transaction appraisal. Right. Okay. 
The one thing that I always like to remind people of, too, is that if you are thinking of doing a loan and not sure you have the equity to do what you want to do, um, you don't start by phoning an appraiser directly and ordering an appraisal. I get We still get this. We get people that walk in with an appraisal. Hey, I just got this appraisal, and it's good enough for me to get a loan with you. I said, mm-hmm. well, that's... Fantastic that you did that. I'm afraid you wasted some money there because that's not an appraisal that we can use. Those people are never excited to learn that. Um, The disclosures are, the process is very well defined now. We need you to understand all of the fees to the transaction on very specific forms that are acknowledged within required timeframes before we're allowed to even place an order for your appraisal. You can't spend money on something, a cost tied to the transaction before you're properly disclosed. And then at the same time, the appraisal report is only good for the people that it's ordered for. So if you get an appraisal, like maybe you, maybe you do loan disclosures at Wells Fargo and they order an appraisal and it is all good. It's all in accordance of the law and disclosure. And then in the middle of the transaction, for whatever happens, you become dissatisfied with Wells Fargo and decide that you want to come to Central Coast Lending. Sadly, you need a new appraisal. That's correct. Um, and so most people don't realize that it's a source of frustration for them, but you know, it is what it is. We don't make the rules. We just do our best to try to follow them. That's, right. We just follow them. <laughs> yeah. But that's true. Um, like if you, as a homeowner, order an appraisal, for whatever reason, you can't then turn around and bring it to the lender. The lender... Right. They got their own processes. They have to go through uh, because it could be collusion. Say sure. I do a, a report for a homeowner, and I, the homeowner gives it to you. You have no idea if we've been talking back and forth, fixing the value, that kind right. of stuff. So more, it has to be uh, arm's length at, uh, from all sides of the transaction. Yep. More realistically, too, I mean, there's certain types of appraisal forms that need to be ordered based on the subject property. That's so correct. If it's a rental property. There's additional forms that yep. Jerry, you would need to fill out. Yeah. Whereas if if the individual told you, "Hey, I just want an appraisal for my value." Yeah. Yeah. We, we need to assign, you know, other comps that have rental income yep. on them. Yeah. That, some of these reports can get pretty extensive, and it they take a long time. Like you know, what, from a home homeowner standpoint. Uh, when an appraiser shows up at the house, you walk through the house, you take a bunch of pictures and notes. It probably takes like a half hour, you know, 45 minutes, something like that. And um, mm-hmm. it's quick. It's quick. But what the real work of the report is when you get home, you do the research, the write the report. It takes hours. It'll take five hours. You can spend a whole day, five, ten hours. Like you just mentioned, too, when you got rental information, things like those reports can take a long time to write. Where do you usually gather that info from? Is it from property managers? Are you getting it from the MLS? Craigslist, right? <laughs> well, it depends. <laughs> if, you, if you're doing rentals, you're going to grab it from everywhere uh, because that stuff's not readily available. So you really got to dig for rental information. You use Craigslist. You use uh, property management companies. You use the MLS. But for... Um, you know, a, a regular residential property, the first place you go is MLS. You go to CoreLogic. You go to uh, uh, county records, any of that available public information to verify. You use two or three different sources to try to verify everything for a house. We know how that goes. 
Yeah. I, I mean, if you if you produce like, hey, I need a loan, I've got Social Security income, uh, we need you to verify that four different ways. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. your award letter, your 1099, a your bank, bank statement yeah, showing shows. it's there, and then yeah, your tax exactly. return that shows yeah. that it's on your uh, your line 21. It's fascinating. Um, yeah, quadruply prove everything. That's, That's the environment right. that we're in today. And by the way, in all of the appraisal industry, uh, loan industry, all th- there's no room for mistake ever anymore either. If mm-hmm. you make a mistake, you're just cast to the wolves immediately. <laughs> um, guys, it's an interactive radio show. We're always taking calls. If you have a question or comment, call us, 543-8830. We got John calling from Nipomo. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Oh, thank you very much, and it's an interesting show. I was just wondering with your appraiser there, um, if a couple of things. I'm wondering if land that has a problem to it, whether it's deemed unbuildable or unsuitable for building or in a flood zone or something like that, how does how do you evaluate the the what the valuation of the of a property like that that's, that's deemed un Buildable or something like that. What the deduction for that is, and then the other thing would be: Would land ever be worth zero dollars? Uh, I don't know if it'd ever be worth zero dollars. Um, you know it, that you're talking about a specific. You would do if, if is is this unimproved land? There's nothing on it. Yes, yeah. unimproved, but maybe maybe a lot yeah. uh, or or a smaller parcel, not a huge. You know, but a, a five or five acres or less. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, in those particular cases, obviously your comparables are going to be other uh, vacant sites, or, or vacant land. You try to find um, places that have a similar problem, location. Uh, maybe you're in a flood zone, so you look for other sales of land uh, that are also in a flood v- zone. For for example, I don't think it's ever worth zero, too. It may be unbuildable, something like that, but it has value to somebody. There's, uh, I remember doing an appraisal for somebody, and he had a bunch of land like that. Um, and he was using it for agriculture, so there was value, sure. you know. So there's, he can't build on it, but he could use it for something else. And a lot of times, people will have land that's um, you can't access it. You don't have a street access or something like that. But you know, but it, it could have value to the neighbor. Maybe the neighbor wants to buy it. Um, you know, so it's it's, it's you're going to look at different things. It's like you have to take it all with a grain of salt. If it's buildable, it's a it's a you know a ready to go lot. There's there's a particular value in a, in an interest. It's ready to sell. People will buy it. You got a pro, a lot that's got problems. Not you know you're not going to have a big market for it. So the so the value is going to be limited, and that's going to be a tough report to write. You're going to have to go back sure. probably years and many many miles away to find similar comparables. So. Everything's got value. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Should should any of you guys find yourself in ownership of land deemed valueless? Um, I'll take it. I don't. I don't want you running around hanging on to things of no value. Yeah, something that's yeah, just free. Gonna, Come on. I'll I'll right. put sheeps on it or something. Exactly. Know, whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> interestingly enough, though, we I I was part of a transaction. Um, I, I I won't. I'm not going to say the property address to this property because I believe it's back on the market. It's down in North Santa Barbara County, and it's a property that had uh, at one time was an oil field. They had an oil pump, like a well, on this piece of property, 
and it functioned for quite a while that way. And then somewhere, mm, I guess it was about 12 or so years ago, they decided to sort of wind up and dissolve that use. And so um, my client saw a property on the MLS, thought it looked great, went and checked it out, loved it, wrote an offer on it, was sort of downplayed that, oh, you know, there's this thing about this thing with oil and just, you know, you're going to have to read this thing. And so anyways, they're in escrow and suddenly produced this piece of paper. Uh, and basically what it said was it was like this sort of a, a release where the some energy commission jurisdiction people said, all right. We, we've been to the site. We agree that you've removed the oil well sufficiently and we're sort of that the conditions there now are clean and we're allowing you now to decommission the site and, and turn it back to its residential use. And um, but if there's ever a problem and it's determined that this site's polluting the environment or causing whatever damage to the neighboring sites that you're not going to be held harmless, nor would future owners. Mm. Whoa. So my client gives me this paper and I'm reading this thinking, Oh, smokes. You really want to, first of all, you know, and this was my question to them. Did you know that you were sort of stepping into Pandora's box when you decided to write your offer at the amount that you did? And because they really liked the house and they went at this point, they hadn't decided whether or not they wanted the house based on this. I was freaking them out. And I think rightfully so. And I said, look, if the house were worth X amount of dollars and you decided that that attribute was a negative attribute and, and needed a 20% discount or something that would justify why you would, you know, still buy it in spite of this negative characteristic, knowing that when you sell it, you're going to have to disclose this and market it to as such. Um, and there aren't like other comps around that are like a, a, a reclaimed piece of property, formerly nope. oil field. That would be tough to find. Yeah. And so that was ultimately the kind of some of those sort of soul searching conversations that we were having myself and the client, you know, and interestingly enough, these would usually be handled probably with the real estate agent or whatever, but you know, we get right down in the weeds with our clients. And so this was the conversation we're having is, well, what's the discount there? And if you entered into escrow believing that it was a normal market value deal without those negative attributes, does this now change that? It would for me. And, um, you know, ultimately they decided that not knowing those things and, and not having any confidence in how to measure them, they basically went back and asked for a pretty good reduction, at which mm. point the seller said, no way, I'm going to get my number. Yeah. And, and then I thought that was fascinating because the... It was a, sort of a speculative build, and I think maybe the seller sort of underestimated how the market might react to that news that they mm. had put the new owner would have potential liability for this environmental uh, future environmental impact. Um, so yeah, kind of a fascinating one. But that's that's right up the lines, kind of what John's yeah. talking about is those those properties that are sort of hard to compare to other properties. And yeah, that's right. And then those, you know, too, and the appraiser like will try to make an adjustment in that situation. But um, but the biggest thing with the appraisal, uh, like FHA rules, they describe it. What we do is we observe and report. 
So it's not like you're not going to make a determination. You don't come in and say, oh, this place is polluted. It's horrible. This is bad. You just make a statement. You say, look, at uh, in the past, this was a oil-producing field and, you know, blah, 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 whatever. Because we're not a, I'm not an oil expert, and I don't think many appraisers are, or a roofing expert or sure. anything else like that. You go to a house where the roof is, like, obviously aged. Right. And you, the you shingles are peeling and curling yeah, and missing. You, you don't make a statement like, ah, oh, the roof is bad because I'm not a roofing expert. How do I know? Right. But it's just, you make an import, a comment that says the roof appears to be nearing the end of its useful Shingle lifespan. Fell off right. So it's that kind of stuff. When you go to a place and you learn about something like sure. that, like a, a negative impact, you just you just make a comment in the report. Mm-hmm. Say, look, at this is what I, uh, in doing research on the property, this is what I came up with. And then if you can find, you say, hey, you know, this area has a lot of oil producing fields. And it looks like, you know, two years ago, a house on the same street that probably has the same impact or a possible environmental impact uh, sold and blah, blah, blah. And you can make time adjustments, all kinds of stuff like sure. that. So, but that's not always the case to do that. I mean, right. some stuff is very hard to find. So let's say you give that that property with oil on it a value, but you you might require some things to be done before you complete your report, right? You can. Uh, it depends on the the report and what's what's going on. I mean, if there's problems with the, uh, if there's well, if, like, well, you just say it was new construction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those are de- generally the reports are conditioned on the completion of the construction. Yeah. Based on specs plans and specs um so you'd come through and in that case you'd have to do a walkthrough before. yeah you, yeah you do that anyway but sure. on a um like if somebody has like fha is a big one about health and safety so if you do an fha loan those are those appraisal inspections are a little bit different typically what you do is are you, you a hud approved appraiser yes okay yeah yeah that's a that's a great topic so bear in mind we only have five minutes now before we get forced out for a mandatory break so it might not be the best time to to scratch this but um that's always an interesting thing i think to me and others is the difference between a conventional appraisal and an fha appraisal kind of what goes into that maybe we'll save that for the start of the Mm. the next hour here um it's the same thing only different the same thing, only different. Yeah, yeah and I, it's a little bit, I think, a little bit farther reaching. It, it seems. is. And then also to that same vein, doing a VA appraisal, those are even a little bit more stringent in terms of, yeah. you know, making sure that things are just so, so that kind of protecting the buyer to a, a little bit further degree and, mm-hmm. and arguably the lender as well, right? Yes. Um, I was curious... So in uh, how much of the county are you servicing in terms of where you're willing to go do an appraisal? I go everywhere in San Luis County. Yeah. It's it and it depends too. If it's if it's slow, you take stuff wherever it is. Sure. And if it's busy, you you tend to stay closer to home. Yeah. And when gas is at four and a half a gallon, yeah. then you would stay that's, close. That's <laughs> generally when it's slow and then you have to ride, you know, hundred and fifty miles in a day. So uh, the other thing um, that I'm always curious about, too, is um, how long have you been doing appraisals in in total, even on uh, the East Coast? 15, 14, 15 years. Uh, That's about the same time that I've been in lending. So how much was an appraisal report 15 years ago? Uh, It was considerably less. Yeah. But it would also take an hour and a half to write. Okay. You know, 
uh, and it was much, much less. We used to take a, do an appraisal. Uh, I, right now, I'll, I'll take 100, you know, pictures easy on an appraisal. We used to take a picture of the front of the house, the back of the house, and the street, and that was it. I, I'm just, and you know, I, I realize probably preaching in the choir here, but I, I've always been really baffled as to how has the value of the appraisal not gone up? Everything else in the industry, everybody else based in the housing industry seems to make their living based on what it's worth, mm -hmm. right? As it just goes up and up and up. I mean, in 15 years, these homes have doubled in value. Mm -hmm. So everybody tied to it is making twice for the job they do related to the house now, except for appraisals. How come yeah. you guys aren't... Well, is there no board that can lobby you guys into coming up to like the, the fair wage for the well, work being you required? You talked about HVCC, Home Valuation Code of Conduct, right? So we're supposed to be above board. We don't communicate value or things like that with the homeowner. We don't talk to the mortgage broker. But if my fee was tied to the value of the house... That would that would mean like why wouldn't I make every house a million dollars worth more and more? Yeah, so in ten percent uh, like that. So our our fee is not associated. Uh, I guess I don't suggest that I want it to be directly related, but it seems to me that the amount of work that goes to do appraisal today, the scrutiny, the mm -hmm. corrections, the yeah. back and forth, all that, yeah. it's just surprising to me that the value of an appraisal hasn't been set at. Seven hundred dollars, or eight hundred dollars, or nine hundred dollars. Well, it depends. They're, well, I used to go. I used to fly out to Nantucket and do appraisals out there, and that was a nine hundred dollar day. Right, easy. You know, makes it uh, worth so the it plane ticket. So depends where it is. Oh yeah, um, but you know, it depends. You get a multifamily, you're in five six hundred dollars. I don't know what the the AMC's charge the power. I don't know what their fees are, but you know, it depends on the type of appraisal. You oh, mentioned I do. Rental grids and things like that. Those get, like I said, they take a long yeah. time. The fees are up, but typically the fees aren't attached to the value. It's just whatever the going rate is. I thought I lost your business card there for a minute. I was panicking. Who is this guy? <laughs> uh, Jerry Reynolds from Patriot Valuation. Um, we're going to have Jerry on with us here for the next half an hour or two. So like I said, we get back. I want to talk a little bit about those different types and kind of what goes into it. Um, it's good information, I think, for sellers, too, when they're evaluating whether they want to... Do you want to dance with a buyer that's going to use an FHA? What does that mean for yep. the appraisal? How is that different than somebody that potentially is going to do a conventional loan or cash or what have you? So that, that'll that be good to talk about when we get back from the break. And also, uh, we can just talk about trends around the uh, community and how hard it is to comp these ever inflating property values so we got a top of the hour break here and be out for about five minutes freshen your coffee water your dog do what you got to do we'll be back for more mortgage matters all right all right welcome back was it you yesterday that did the matthew mcconaughey at me Somebody did. You have that voice. Look at you. If only you were like as good looking as he is. Yeah. That's why I do radio. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I've been accused uh, of that too. I love that know, when people say, oh, face you made have for a face for yeah, radio. Yeah, we all have faces made for radio in my this studio. Once, that's for sure. My wife once said, she was talking to this gal when she got off the phone. She said, that lady had a voice for email. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> why? And typically my wife is not mean, but I guess it was just like, you know, unbearable. Yeah, you know, like, like that. I hear you. It's pre it's like that Justin Bieber song about like my mom doesn't like you and she <laughs> likes everyone. Yeah. 
Justin. Just don't even go there with Justin Bieber. You don't like Justin. Hang on, time out. We're gonna have a. a, You know, we're gonna have a bumper from Justin Bieber coming back now. I'm a believer. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What are you? Oh my gosh. Wait, you guys don't don't take pictures of me. Thank you. You guys never watched uh, Never Say Never. Uh, Nobody. uh, He just said believer. Believer. Yeah. Yeah. You ought to watch that documentary. You amaze me. You ought to watch Uh, that documentary. Do you know he's Canadian? Yeah. Yeah, It's not his fault. His number one. One of his number one songs is "I'm Sorry." <laughs> You're silly, is what you are. All right, let's move on from the Bieber. I was gonna try to enlighten you guys, but mm-hmm. it's falling on just, deaf ears. Yeah. Jerry's just patiently waiting. For yeah, <laughs> his, <laughs> this whole radio experience. He's like, I don't know what to say here. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably better than to say nothing right now. Yeah, you know? it's move. this is this is one of my, um, you know. The ways that I get you all loose. Don't be uptight. See, we can mm-hmm. talk about Justin Bieber, and a guy like me can say I'm a I'm a believer. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> now you're ready. Now you forgot where you even are, and how many people are listening. You're just focused on how ridiculous I am. Yeah. It's Justin Bieber. What do you mean, Jim? Coming in with the sound. Yeah. Light. What do you mean? <laughs> kid though really that i did watch that documentary seriously and he had i i want to say had because lately he he's shaken my like respect for him with some of his shenanigans which i think maybe we should all just be forgiving him that adolescence growing up in the spotlight thing whatever but at 18 dude (laughs) if you watch that work ethic this dude he had growing up the most amazing drive passion work ethic that you do not commonly see in kids and um for that he's he's a really talented musician i mean i i don't own justin bieber music but i was taken aback by his talent and work ethic and he just happens to be in a genre of music i don't you know know about or care about that much well it's kind of like our parents with michael jackson and who's that and you know michael yeah all right i don't know it's kind of weird all right well we have uh yeah we got a pro here in the office so we're gonna get back on topic here we got um jerry reynolds who's a an appraiser extraordinaire um, and before the break, I think we just, we weren't going to be able to do it in four or five minutes. Look at that. I mean, I just burned three minutes talking about Bieber. So, um, but back on topic, there's a difference in an appraisal for somebody that's um, paying cash and just wants an appraisal to sort of make sure they're not making a, a dumb investment. Um, by the way, people say that all the time. If you're paying cash, why would you get an appraisal? Well, there's some good info in there yeah. you might want to know about. Yeah, I would um, say so. Yeah, that's absent of like the realtors where, you know, God love you. I love you, realtors. You make my world go round. Um, that being said, it's always the right time to buy um, and generally a pretty good value. Um, so it, in that world where you've got a pocket full of cash and a couple realtors telling you that it's a pretty good deal, along comes an appraiser that can shed a little bit of light on that. So even if you're a cash buyer, an appraisal is not a bad idea. Uh, but if you're going to get a conventional loan or an FHA loan, what's the difference in those appraisals? Uh, the form is the same. 
it's um, it's actually in the inspection and comments too. FHA FHA is very concerned about health and safety, um, and so you you do a little bit more in depth. Like typically, if it's just conventional, you're walking through the house, it's all visual. You know, you do take pictures of everything like that. You observe stuff. You don't you don't turn things on. You don't. Uh, you know, you don't go up in the attic. You don't go down the crawl space. It's just kind of visual. Take pictures, like, uh, and look for any defects or you know improvements, things like that. FHA, they want to know. They want to know if the if you have an appliance in the house, it's got to be working. Like, if you have central AC, it needs to be working. If you got a swimming pool, it needs to be working. It needs to be. Um, I just did an appraisal the other day. The wooden fence in the backyard was kind of falling down for FHA. Now, conventional, they probably wouldn't care. But FHA says, ah, that's a health problem. It's a health and safety. Somebody could trip, fall on it, get, get a splinter. Uh, had to be taken care of. And, um, you know, and then you get the chip, in, chip paint. If your property was built before 1978, it's a potential for lead paint. Uh, conventional may or may not care. You know, you always put a comment in there whether you saw it or not. Uh, FHA, if you have chipped or peeling paint, your house is built after 1978, it's cosmetic. If it's built before 1978, that's health and safety. You have to you have to take care of it. Yeah, uh, you got to test the appliances. You got to turn on the stove. Got to turn on the oven. Turn on the AC. Turn on the heat. Turn on the, the water. house has obviously been repainted after 1978. Yeah, it does, but it doesn't matter if there's doesn't chipped matter? or peeling paint. Well, yeah, if it doesn't matter if it's paint is if, if it's all recently been repainted and looking good. No problem. But Nobody's if it's peeling paint, you can't, unless you test it for lead, which mm-hmm. we're not going to do, appraisers aren't going to do, mm-hmm. you just got to make the assumption that there could potentially be lead paint there. Hmm. So if you're going to get an FHA loan and your place is built before 78, make sure it's all, uh, there's no chipped or peeling paint. Right. And they'll even, even the, the outbuildings, you got a shed or something like that, FHA will say, ah, can't have that. Yeah. Yeah, I had a deal like that come up recently. Kind of got some egg on my face over it where I had a couple that was trying to buy a house with a conventional loan. So they indicated conventional loan on the purchase contract. They got into escrow. We got going and we ran into a snag with the conventional loan. They had a previous credit issue that we hoped would be okay conventional and ultimately was decided not okay. Um and, and we knew there was a coin toss of that happening. And so we we had the borrowers already prepped. Yeah, you, there's a chance if this, if this horse doesn't run, we're going to end up needing to move you over into FHA. And you just got to be ready for that. This is what it looks like. And, you know, we're going to do everything we can to keep you in the conventional lane. But you might end up over there. Well, sure enough, a couple weeks in, we were made aware that it was going to need to go FHA. And the owner of the house was a former real estate appraiser. Oh. And she said, I don't want this deal if your buyer is going to have to use an FHA loan. I know all about it. So I said, well... I can appreciate that. And, you know, your tenure and experience in the industry and all this stuff, you know, take special consideration. Uh, but my experience is that this FHA thing is going to be okay. And, you know, unless there's some glaring health and safety concern that you're trying not to disclose or cover up on your sale, um, we should probably just press on yeah, that's and if what you I would do think. have an issue you're trying not to disclose i encourage you to disclose it because of the environment we currently live in mm-hmm. so begrudgingly she accepted and didn't choose to disclose anything else which was fine um 
It turns out there was fascia on two sides of the house that had some peeling paint. And so we had already had a conventional appraisal that was no problem, signed off and all good. The FHA cat goes out there, comes back and says, yeah, you're going to have to hire a painter to scrape down and fix all this peeling paint over here. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a big deal. It turned out to be like 1100 bucks or something, but it was enough to get everyone in a tissy, including that gal called me up and said, I told you so. (laughs) So yeah, well... So it's a FHA is a little more intrusive. Uh, they just want additional info. You got to take uh, additional time, the inspection, things like I said. Things have to work. If you're going to have utilities on, there, so they can ut- be tested. Utilities right? have to be on. Yeah. If there's a crawl space, you got to mm-hmm. check it out. If there's an attic, you got to check it out. So it's uh, you know, and when you look up in the attic, you're not looking to see what you got in there. You, you're taking a look at the at the at the um, the rafters, the sheathing. You're looking for mold and things like that, staining, water stains, frayed electrical stuff, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, so you're just, you're just trying to get gauge the overall condition of the place. Sure. So the FHA is a little bit more work for the appraiser. It's a lot more comments. You have to comment on every, every uh, particular thing. Um, but for me, see, I don't know what happens on the mortgage side. I have no idea what you guys do. You know, it's well. Uh, you I should have us on stuff. your radio show, and I'll tell you all about what I do. <laughs> I don't know if there's a parade of radio, but uh, it'd probably hey, be man, interesting there's... for about 15 minutes, and that's it. <laughs> there's you got a pioneer, you know. Mm-hmm. Do boldly do what no appraiser's done before. Have a radio show, Jerry. Have you done a 203k appraisal? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, since we're just on FHA, really quick, how is that difference different from your average FHA appraisal in the ways that you have to kind of forecast or recognize completed yeah value. well uh well let's just take it back to like that guy that called in about his land uh he had vacant land space suppose he wanted to put a house there so what you do in that case it's an appraisal you appraise the property as if the house existed today and when there's nothing when it's just a vacant land sure. you say okay if this house existed today it would probably sell for in this this, around here and it's just an opinion of value it's not a fact it's just an opinion uh the same thing with fha 203k you got a you got a dumpy place you want to fix it up you're doing the appraisal based on the assumption that those improvements are have already taken place the house is pristine it looks beautiful kitchen's gonna look great yeah all that kind of stuff it's the best of quality all that kind of stuff and so you make you write the appraisal up as if all that work is done. You make comments in that that this is what's going to happen. You include the uh, construction bids into the report, so the report can be kind of lengthy. Sure. And then, uh, but you also put in an as-is value, an opinion of as-is value. So if that uh, you know if that the, say the estimated value when the place is complete is two hundred bucks, uh, the as-is value today is a dollar fifty. You know that kind of thing. Sure. So it, it becomes, it just length and time and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot more stuff. You got to get information from the contractors, all kinds of stuff. There's documents you got to. When you, you get that order for that 203K appraisal, do you do, like roll your eyes and, oh man. Don't uh, lie. Because we kind of <laughs> do that when somebody calls and says, give me a 203K loan. Oh, okay. Yeah, we do those. No, I don't. It's a lot of work. I don't, I don't usually, not on those. I will on, uh, when you get an order for a manufactured home on 20 acres out in Templeton or Creston or someplace, those are the ones that you'd, you'd like, oh, this is going to take a long time. <laughs> That's funny. I, it, there's, there's everybody, I guess, has some, some mm-hmm. part of their job that, yeah. you know, is the... 
Well, it's, it's more like, you, you know, you, you, you mentioned that I do a lot of these things, and, and I do. Um, but, you know, so you know that you've got five or six reports to write. It's going to take you five hours, six hours to write each one. It takes uh, so much time to get to a place. And then you, in the middle of all of this busyness, you get an order, like I just mentioned, a manufactured home out in the middle of nowhere. And not that the report is that difficult. It's just that comparables are now going to be 10 and 15 miles away. So it's just the time. And it's you roll your eyes because you know that the amount of time that it's going to take to do this and it's going to mess up your schedule. Sure. So. Sure. Uh, one quick thing I want to add. I got a phone call from a referral on Tuesday. I was driving back from Sacramento. I took the call. And, and uh, this gal has a property out in um, up in near Hollister. Uh, which is just south of Gilroy, uh, southeast of Gilroy, and uh, it's 380 acres. Wow. Whew, that's a lot of land. And mm. she started saying to me things like, you know, a house next to me uh, just got appraised for 1.3, and it's only 80 acres, so she starts scaling in her mind. I can answer this for you. The difference between 80 acres and 300 and how many acres you said is about 10 grand on an appraisal. Well, I agree. <laughs> I'm bringing, I want to bring that up. Where is Where does the line stop? Like, after X amount of acres, it doesn't matter anymore. I mean, is it all about the house? Is it do, do you account for the lot size being more than one acre and actually add that into the value? Is um, there an area where you just say, yeah, that's great. It's 300 acres. I stop at 10. I mean, I'll give oh. you value. I'll give <laughs> well, you value. It, it, it would depend on the, the lot. Of, sometimes the uh, mortgage company will have Yeah, that's what I was going to say. We have, we have lender parameters that mm. we typically set. And if a lender doesn't set those parameters, then they typically go along the lines of the default kind of Fannie Mae rules in those cases. And you got to remember, too, that these answers are going to be um, tipped towards a company like ours, which is we do residential loans. And I know if Dan were here, he'd correct me and say that there's some other, we do a little bit of commercial lending and things like that over we have some ag different. Yeah. Okay, fine. But I'm going to give you the residential loan answer is we're curious about the improvements of the property this big sprawling vacant land thing that's you know it's 300 acres and then you've got this house on there i'm curious of what's the improvement value of this land if the if the whole thing is going to be worth two million dollars but the house is a 1500 square foot three bedroom two bath home that we know costs you know 250 dollars a square foot to construct you're not going to lead me to believe at all that that property now you're talking oh, it sounds like you're making a land loan that happens to have this outbuilding on it that's a house and it's adding some value but it's not the total value and and the other thing to keep in mind here is that typically when you're talking about land of that size there's generally some sort of agricultural use that's going on on it and that's going to sort of start to knock it out of many of the residential loan programs anyway. So like we see the equine take place there. You know, equine managers or owners of horses or boarding horses take place. But that's why it's really common for a company like us that's going to say all of that in mind. That's why we really want you to value up to 10, you know, because you, you see houses around our county quite a bit where, you know, the house is on eight, 10, 12 acres. That's cool. Yeah. If it's a 20 acre ranch um, and the comps are all 10 acres, that's a good spot to kind of pull the plug and call. We're not going to give you that extra land value again, because we're not a land lender. We're a residential lender. 
Um, and then once you start going well beyond that, it's, it just gets to the point where, again, we don't want to add the extra value of what the land might be. It gets into what we call the highest and best use of what a property is, something mm -hmm. that... Um, and I forget, you probably know this better than me, Jerry, but in that highest and best use, it's like, what is it that's economically feasible? Um, and then according to the planning and zoning, what, you know, what could be done there? Is there a better use of the property than what there currently is? And sometimes you see one of those huge acreage properties that happens to be in a zoning where it's like, could potentially be knocked down into one acre minimums. And so I don't want to help you buy that 1500 square foot house on 20 acres to learn only that you've now got a, a subdivision map approved where you're going to have 21 acre parcels. And I just gave you a development loan on what was supposed to be a residential property, right? That's not the kind of thing that we want to get involved in. And so that's why we, not only do we have some limitations on how much land we want valued, but we also want the appraiser to be pretty clear about what the highest and best use is, whether that it's current use or moving into some other use that's sort of above and beyond that of just residential financing. Sure, but to continue the debate, we would help someone with that size property oh, of course. refinance a house. And let's say two, three years down the road, they learn that this could be their retirement. Yeah, and, yeah. and at that same time, those are unique. So it's going to be handled sort of sure. case by case. And if somebody calls up and says, I have a 300-acre ranch up here, um, if there are three other you know closed sales of 300-acre ranches, then... Ah, let's talk that those are direct representation of what that value is and i'm comfortable with it the trouble is is that 300 acre ranches don't usually trade hands very often so then instead what we find out is that we commission jerry goes out to the property checks it out and says this is a great property there hasn't been a 300 acre ranch that's sold within 10 years or 20 miles of this place so now you go well okay well there was one in gilroy all right, is that the same market? You're freaking me out now. And that's where mm. I want you to drop down. All right, because let's let's fast forward six months. This borrower, I don't know, dies or loses their job or whatever, and suddenly I'm in a position where I have to foreclose on this property and figure out how to unwind out of it. And the only thing ever around that's selling is 10-acre stuff. This thing's going to be more marketable and easier for us to offload because we didn't value it to 300 acres. We sort of held Absolutely. that more conservative adjuster. So yeah. it's going to, in these cases, and this is true too, um, kind of like John said, we, we've been talking a little bit about this, but um, what those... What you what the attribute you're trying to nail down to your property? Ideally, we want to find multiple sales that have had the same thing. Manufactured home on five acres. Mm. We get that call. Hey, can you do a loan for a manufactured home on five acres? You bet I can. The trick's going to be: can we get an appraisal where we can find three comps that are also manufactured homes on five acres? That is the difficulty, and that's hard because again, those don't those don't change possession a lot. Mm -hmm. Those there's not as many of those around. That's, that's right. not the that's not as easy as you know doing a condo loan there over right next to Cal Poly. Those are that's mm -hmm. better understood. There those are everywhere. You yeah, know? yeah, and you know whether it's. Um, well, let's just take use the example of 160, 300 acres. Uh, and, and in any appraisal, what you want to do is you're going to take the, the subject property location and then you go out a certain radius distance from that. And so you try what the thought being that if there's a or say a house, 
you got a house and there's a railroad track next to that house if you stay within a certain radius of that property all of those houses are going to have the same railroad track sure. they're going to all have that same external influence well that's the same thing that's true when you have multi-acre properties if you're out in creston or templeton or or the east side of paso or something like that all of those homes have the same external influences they're still they're out of town they're same distance to, to amenities groceries things like that so that so there's a different appeal people that move there are looking for something there's a different appeal than to somebody that's right in town so when you use your example there when you talk about a 1500 square foot house on a uh, small postage stamp lot in town compared to 160 or 10 or 20 acres it's a different market appeal so you've so there is value uh, with the the so what you try I guess the point I'm trying to make is when you do those kind of appraisals you do look for other you try to bracket each one of the, um, the things. So if you got 10 acres, you want to get a, a sale that's got maybe got a couple more acres, a couple less acres, somewhere around 10 acres for the third comparable. And you and make the same those adjustments. For that. Yeah, and you try to figure it out from there. And you try to be fair. you got to assume that at certain point, um, like if you went to buy a, land, a, a vacant lot, you know, 300 acres, something like that, it's probably going to cost you three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000. But if you're looking at the difference between a house that's got, uh, you know, already existing, it's got uh, 150 acres and the next one's 175, well, it's probably not going to be a $300,000 difference. It's going to be only a couple of grand per acre. Sure. You know, so, uh, yeah. So the, the the last thing that I was kind of curious to ask you about today is because it's been a little while since we've had an appraiser on the show. And, um, you know, the market is alive. It, yeah. It's always it's changing. Market. Yeah, it's a good market right now. Um, it's fun. We see that the market's appreciating in mm -hmm. most places around the county. And I think the pace is accepted to be somewhere around 5% a year. So fine. Um, have you been finding areas where it's challenging? Like you see a property that's sold and the comps are like all 5% below and there's not a good way to, to chalk it up except for market demand and appreciation. And, and, and how has that been received by the lenders that you're submitting these to? Um, yes, you do see that. Now I'm doing a report right now on Los Osos where it's like that. Um, it's kind of on the high end for the market. And I brought these papers with me uh, today. And this shows, because um, I figured it would come up about market values. And what this is, is a report produced by CoreLogic. And it comes out every month. Like, then it's a couple months old by the time you get it. So this is March 2016 and where we met. We're in May, right? So it comes out a couple months old. But basically, this gives you percentages. What it's doing is looking at property increase, decrease uh, per town and then countywide over the past 12 months okay and each town can go can be pretty um can be volatile like especially look, the lower volume parts of our county well it's just it's just taking sales all sales in general it's not specific you know ranch sure. ranch three bedroom that kind of it's just number of sales and it does some kind of calculation so if you look at like this latest report arroyo grande uh, minus 1.3, Tascadero minus 3.5, Cambria is up 4.8, Cayucas, which is like crazy, uh, up 45%, uh, Los yeah. Osos 8.4%. But these are, again, if, but if you went back and looked at last month, those numbers would be all very different. But countywide, if you talk about increasing values, if you look at like countywide for this month is uh, the most recent reports 4.4%. Last month was 5.5, then it's 10.4, 10.1, 13.8, 12 12.1. So countywide values within the whole county, you know, single families is what it's looking at, are up. 
and that average is 9.57% over the past year, so countywide. Uh, so yeah, uh, numbers are up, and what happens there is when you've got increasing markets, I tell you what the the biggest problem it's not a problem i should say but um is multiple offers there's very limited sure. inventory out there so what happens then even on the, the the lousiest homes you have multiple bids people are you know multiple offers coming in on a property and that's what's driving the prices up uh demand it's supply and demand people looking for houses they're just not out there so they're they're just grabbing what they can that's a seller's market sweet all right I'm, I'm about to set you free for oh. the, your weekend yes. here. I imagine you're going to go work. But I got to know, since you're a guy with a finger right on the pulse, mm-hmm. is this market a bubble? Is it a good time to invest? Good time to sell and run? Oof, I don't know. Um, Come on, you got to have an opinion. <laughs> Well, for myself personally, since I don't own, I'm hoping it's a bubble. Okay. And uh, so I'm looking for when it starts to, to go down. And... It, you know, but it's a but good time, by is, the way, Jerry. You should you should get in touch with us, get pre-approved now, so that when that happens, we, yeah. we've got all your ducks in a row yeah, yeah. to to have you right I'm not there. Not quite ready. Divorce <laughs> is a very expensive thing. I have to. It's going to take me a little while. I've heard that, and it reminds me of a joke, though. You know why divorce is so expensive? It gets worth it. <laughs> you already knew it. Yes. Okay, so you're thinking that you're hoping that it's a bubble, personally, mm-hmm. um, but it, it doesn't look like it's stopping anytime soon. Well have a problem with that is interest rates interest rates go up it's going to have a huge impact because right now what are you borrowing at three point something you're buying a house for five hundred thousand three point something that pete that's affordable you go up four percent five percent that three four hundred five hundred thousand becomes very expensive to somebody in a mortgage and that's going to force prices down i would think one could argue yeah one could argue yeah yeah, I see that too. Um, and then at the same time, I, I keep seeing these things. I'd, I'm not entirely sure how to articulate it yet at this point, but I worry that the U.S. economy might be addicted to these low rates mm-hmm. and yep. there might not be a good way to get us off of them. I know. So I wonder about that too. If that what stays the case. Well, if, I mean, if that would happen, it's a it's one of those things where... You know, that that mortgage rate just kind of stays the norm and the things, the other investments in the economy sort of flux and ebb and flow around that. And maybe the mortgage rate becomes a little bit of a basis for the mortgage-backed security becomes a basis for how other instruments are viewed and traded. Mm. Instead of the flip side right now, this is why we talk about the 10-year bond yield and these things frequently is that we're always... We always compare what the mortgage-backed securities are doing in relation to those other instruments, and and I worry now that the, that dependency on that low interest rate might cause that flip-flop. And I'm not positive it's a bad thing, um, but well, yeah, I mean, the refi market for a little while if it goes up. It could, but at the same time, you know, we have refis happen because people get divorced right. or because they college. have debt they need to cash Things out like or a kid going to yeah. college. They listen to the show. Uh, yeah, there's there's a variety of reasons why people refi, and um, mm-hmm. and we're thankful for all of them. Yes, me and, too. And uh, yeah, so uh, bottom line, thanks much for coming on today. Yeah, I appreciate it. And yeah, we do see a lot of your reports, and it's nice to to meet a fella and put a face to a name. Um, oh, thank and, you. And uh, yeah, so keep up the good work. Thanks for our, uh, all that you do. I mean, it's, it's such an, uh, so much anonymity in it now that we never even know the I appraisers know. Yeah. that are delivering. Yeah, you them. don't know anybody. You're really seen almost like the place kicker. We either love you or we hate you, right? <laughs> it's appraisals. You, you can't live it, with them and you, you can't don't. close without them. <laughs>
Yeah. Games on the line. Except for, you know, oftentimes I feel like I'm tackled in the backfield by that kicker. <laughs> I make the interception, and now the dude with the funny face mask has got me on my back. How did that happen? I'm still trying to figure out how baseball is contagious and how you said it's, it, it's, really? tied, it's tied to their negative GDP. As a baseball guy, I'm I I know you're a baseball. Guy. Well, you're a Giants fan, so we'll forgive you. <laughs> We're gonna let Jerry go. Um, thanks much for being on today. I do really appreciate it. And for those of you that have some need that is outside of a immediate loan transaction and want to talk with a real pro on appraisal, Patriot Valuation is the company. Jerry Reynolds is the man. Uh, we got a phone number here to the office. It's area code eight zero five. Two three four two one six nine, and you can email Jerry at patriotvaluation.com. Jerry at patriotvaluation.com. If you're driving, stop trying to write that down. You can call us uh, on Monday at the office or send us an email. I know you know how to get a hold of us, and we'll point you back to Jerry. Um, yeah. So, Jerry, thanks right. a bunch. Hey, really thank appreciate you. I appreciate it. it. Pleasure, uh, pleasure. Enjoyed being here. Yeah, good. Hopefully, it wasn't too painful. No, it's only it's not as painful as I thought it would be. Yeah, that's what everybody says. Everyone I like that. that. I yeah. like that. Mm. All right, guys, we're gonna do a commercial break here and play some commercials from the sponsors that help make the show possible. Lend your ear. If these guys didn't pay to advertise, you'd have to pay to listen. So, uh, we hope that you'd enjoy what you hear and, and consider patronizing these companies. We'll be back in a few minutes with more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call five four three eight eight three or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. Give yourself the best possible chance to buy your dream home with our 21-day close. We get you fully pre-approved before you find your house so you can write a shorter, easier offer and beat out the competition. It's time for you to be the offer that gets accepted. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Central. 
Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. All right. Jim bring, Jim's a rocker at heart. It's a oh, fact. Yeah. If you listen to the show long enough, for, and yeah. Jim airs towards the rock. He's yeah. a ro- You're a rocker. The rocker or the new country. Or but the yeah. new country guy. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. a big Keith Urban guy. Uh, he's okay. Come on, yeah. baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're a real honest uh-huh. baby. Come yeah. on, baby. Yeah. I'm doing my I'm doing that weird thing where you like shake your mm-hmm. shoulder and you design a shit. Was it like, come on, baby, you're an artist. Did I have a Do you watch about, him? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's on what yeah. what's the show he's on? American Idol. American Idol. American Idol. Do you, you love that guy, right? I wouldn't okay. use the word. Blake Shelton's good. He's got yeah, some sweet voice. highlights. Oh, yeah. His wife is a catch. Mm-hmm. How's that? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, no, I was listening on the way in today. I know Blake I, Shelton's ex is available now, too. So I should She's have been, too, I should have been right. listening to more to Motor Mouse on my drive in. I know, yeah. so don't slap my hand too What's hard. That? I, I was listening to Country though on the way in, oh, and we were okay. running through All the right. charts. And you know, the Keith Urban dude's up there, it's like best selling records and number one singles. I think he's at the fair this year, too. He is. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm yeah. positive ladies from 35 to 55 just love that guy. Positive. I mean, mm-hmm. every time he was on America. Does your wife like him? She does. My wife thinks he's weird. He has like weird highlights and layers in his hair that don't make perfect sense. And then he wears the, mm-hmm. all of his shirts are like a schmedium. They're real, <laughs> like a schmedium with like a real tr- trendy, catchy logo yeah. type. He's very, very pop culture country guy. Shmedium. Oh yeah, he's definitely he's definitely pop country. Yeah, definitely. But uh, I, I like I like Keith. You know, he's okay. Yeah, uh, he's cool. Kenny Chesney, kind of along the same lines there. I yeah. think I've met Kenny actually. That was kind of cool. Oh yeah, that was a few years ago. I told you about one. No, you haven't. But yeah. So yeah, I was working for one of the other stations in the market, and uh, we brought him in to uh, do uh, um, a lunch thing, like a promo. When he was like, you know, just yeah. up, up and coming through RCA, and uh, this little known guy named Kenny Chesney that came into the building. Were you starstruck? Uh, well, at the time it was like, yeah, you're gonna be here for about five minutes, and then you're done. Uh, wrong. No, wrong. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The one that would have made it flopped. Anyway. Yeah, but huh. Kenny is like, yeah. I have a picture of me with him out in the lobby. And oh, it's pretty cool, fancy. Yeah. yeah. I bring this up because the dude brings us back with you know Ozzy, hmm. which fascinates me because I watch interviews with Ozzy where he's like, oh, I know you can't understand a bloody word. And then word he, he starts singing, and I can understand. What are you singing? I know, like this one, Mama. Mama, coming home, you can understand every word. 
But but when you're but when you're listening to him talk, he can't understand one word. Yeah. Literally, like I need subtitles on when that man speaks. I know, and it's not just an accent. I feel like he must, like I mean, and I want to be sympathetic because I feel like he Uh must have had some sort of accident or stroke or something that's kept him from being able to articulate. You know, I know. And then you hear him sing, and he sings. Why am I coming home right here? Tell. This would have been appropriate last weekend when I messed (laughs) up the show because of Mother's Day. Uh, For all you moms out there, I'm coming home. Are we going to talk about mortgages anytime this show? Let's get back on track. Yeah, <laughs> we we had some things left to talk yeah. about. Um, you know, in that so we did the this the donut show right for the the middle was our guest and we we did a good job with that and now we got to get back to that that bigger picture. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about this um, this idea of the refi boom because I'm not I'm not confident that everybody knows what it is and. And again, I think if you're, um, you know, online paying attention to your news feed, you see these things now where we start talking about being back at historic lows and finding super low interest rates and um, a really good time for people to figure out, uh, you know, if they could or should be refinancing. And, you know, there's a, I, I realize that this, topic for those of you that are that are listening regularly to the show this topic gets to a point where mm, it's not that interesting to you if you don't feel like you want or need to refi um, maybe you don't even have a loan uh, I mean I can appreciate that but you know people that have loans or you've got kids or grandkids that are trying to buy houses or maybe they've recently bought so some of this information is really good but this week I was over at Patterson Realty. I do the weekly meeting and kind of bring them the market updates and what's going on with the loan program, economic, you know, different guideline updates that are going to be relevant to how to stay um, in communication with their clients um, from the past, but also to keep their current clients engaged on what's going on. And, and, and ideally, I hope to... Um, keep them on the kind of cutting edge where they might be avoiding some pitfalls too. But the topic came back to how low these interest rates are. And, um, you know, so there's a couple things that I, that I wanted to share. Uh, one is we ran a commercial a few years back about people that would refinance their home. Um, and the idea being that you would refinance your home so that you could, um, retire sooner (laughs) right oh that's a weird idea isn't it um but but so that this is just one segment of the population that i think this is real valuable information for is that you know if if you guys have a loan that's got 20 or 25 years left on it you know that's a loan that you got in the era of you know eight or ten years ago that that loan five, eight, ten years ago probably has a higher interest rate than the rates are today. But you've also made some really good progress on it, and and it wouldn't it wouldn't be good for us to be trying to push people back into a thirty year term just to save money. And we're certainly that's not that's not an mo of our business. But there's a kind of dialogue that we want to have with that client that's got a loan they've had for five, seven, eight, ten, twelve years. Uh, is that the 15-year fixed loan or the 20-year fixed loan, um, 
one of the majors runs an ad for something they call the Yorgage, which is, you know, your mortgage, real clever, right? Uh, but the idea there is that you could do whatever loan term you need. So, you know, maybe you're trying to find that perfect payment and the perfect payment means that you need a 24 year loan term. Um, we can do loan terms that are custom from 30 down to seven years. So that's right. maybe you even have a 15 year loan and you're six years in on it and your 15 year loan rate is higher than what you've got going on today. Um, in this market, you could come in and get a nine year loan. So without giving any of your progress up, get yourself into a loan that's got a, a bit lower rate. Um, Jay, is that like shoe sizes? Is there a half? Yeah, you could do that. I mean, we could set the term that you want. You really just um, find the payment and work backwards. I'm at, I'm at centralcoastlending.com and looking at the rates. Uh, we got a mortgage rates tab where you can kind of keep in here and see what's going on. Um, conventional 30-year fixed, 3.54 APR. Bam. That's low. The 15-year fixed, 2.944 APR. That's low. Um, the high balance 30 year fix for the people that have got a loan amount that are greater than 417,000 in slow County, that, that greater than 417,000 less than, or equal to 561, 200, 3.674 APR. These are phenomenally low. And, um, so people that have had loans for a few years, if you've had a loan for more than five years. Um, might be a real good time to come in and check it out. And, and I want to tell you what happens here. Uh, regularly, I'll get somebody that comes in and they've, they've had a loan for eight years. Okay. And we get them, so they've got 22 years left. We can get them a 20 year loan for the exact same payment or less. Can I add to that? Well, not, not before I make my point of, if that mortgage payment's 2000 bucks a month and just by way of refinancing, we get you out of two years worth of payments, that's 50,000 bucks you're going to save for just coming and restructuring your loan. That's incredibly valuable. And those are the kind of things I mean by utilizing a refinance to be able to retire sooner, right? For those of us that are self-employed or working for the state, like we know there's some there's some metrics, some milestones we have to achieve before we're going to be able to take the boots off and retire. And oftentimes paying the house off or having it well under control is a big part of that. And could you retire sooner or would you retire sooner if you could pay your house off sooner? And if not, maybe you'd keep working and just have that extra money. What would you do with it? Dote on the kids, dote on the grandkids, go take that Italian vacation that you've been after. There's a lot of reasons why, again, just come in, let us do an analysis of what it is that you've got and what, what might be able to happen. It's pretty regular that I have people that come into my office, they heed this advice from the radio, then they come in and we look at it and you say, you know what, you're not one of the people I can help. Keep doing what you're doing. You yep. got it right. And, um, you know, that probably happens, I'd guess, probably 20% of the time. Yeah. And the other 70% of the time is usually a pretty good, compelling reason to come on in and refi. Um I know you have something that you want to add, and I'm a, I'm a busy talker, but I, I want to tell you guys about one more loan that I put together this week for a friend of mine. Um, I helped him buy a house here in Slow, 
a few years ago over in the Laguna Lake neighborhood. Purchase loan, minimum down payment that we put 5% down, bought this house. Market's been appreciating. I mean, Jerry, the appraiser just shared with us that it's around the county somewhere at 5% or more per year. So these guys have been making payments. So they bought their house two years ago, like actually really just two years ago. And right about the year mark, we did a refi. And the reason was um, the market had appreciated about 5%. We were able to get them a little bit lower interest rate because your interest rate's tied somewhat to the equity you have in the property. But most importantly in this scenario, the mortgage insurance, we were able to reduce pretty dramatically. So we got a lower interest rate, a lower mortgage insurance, because at that point we had like a 88% loan to value. So we still weren't at the full 20% equity needed to fully get rid of the mortgage insurance. Um, that was about a year ago. So truck on now. Um, we just put together a refi for these guys now after owning the home for a couple years. The market says they've got the full 20% equity. So we're lowering the interest rate one more time fully getting rid of the mortgage insurance. That's a big win. Did you get that appraisal back yet? It's coming, but I'm confident in it. There's a house near this house selling for a good value. Yeah, about $30,000 more than I need in my transaction. So that's why I have some confidence in there that I think it's going to work out. It's going to be just fine. So I'll give you some updates as that goes. But I wanted to share with everyone, listen up. If you bought a house two or three years ago with something less than 20% down, you've got some mortgage insurance that your property has gone up in value on average around the county about 5% a year, which means that you might just have that 20% equity now. So if that's true, go grab your mortgage statement. What's your mortgage insurance? Is it 200 bucks, 300 bucks, 400 bucks a month? In some cases, like if you got an FHA loan, that mortgage insurance might even be slated to last for the entire life of the loan at 400 bucks a month. Um, if that's the case, you're one of the people that needs to come in and participate in what we're, uh, you know, we call the refi boom. This is it. With these rates being this low, plenty of people are stepping up to refi. And appreciation. And appreciation on the rise. I mean, it's two, it's two huge pros in your corner. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a great time to get in and get that. I mean, that our house bill is typically the biggest bill in our life. If you can get that down and save yourself a few hundred bucks a month on the house bill... I mean, that opens you up to be able to do other things. Yeah. Fund a retirement account, you know, replace that aging car, well, yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, what I'd like to add just quickly is I, I had a very affluent investor come into our office by way of referral, um, owns quite a few rental properties, commercial properties as well. And he got a loan on three of his properties in South County um, eight years ago, believe it or not. And most of his interest rates are high fives, low sixes. He was thinking, just get me into these great 30-year rates, you know. Um, all these investment properties, he put a fair amount of money down on. So we had great loan-to-values. I sat across from him and said, look, you're taking three, $400 home a month right now from these properties. How is that three or $400 a month helping you right now? And he said, it's not. I don't need that money. Most of the time I just write it as an extra payment to the bank. So we did a 15 year loan on all three of these properties, shaved off seven years of payment for him. 
And it turns out that because the rates are what they are, I mean, you said some uh, below three out of 15. These are investment properties, so they're coming in at three and a quarter for a 15-year mortgage. And he's actually not going to even have to come out of pocket any money to pay these new these new bills. So he's shaving off seven years of payment on a property, on three properties. We're actually doing three loans for him. Now, what's crazy about that is that people just get in their zone. You know, the property's doing well. I'm making two, three hundred bucks a month. I might be taking that and putting it in my savings. But you got to realize it's not just that you're saving seven years of payment. That's a huge game changer down the road when you will be older, wanting to retire, or just wanting to be getting more income from these properties. You're going to save thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars on the interest. I mean, 15 years, the way that product amortizes is is so fast. And a lot of you people probably know this, but if you're looking at a $350,000 loan, the difference in interest that you would pay is $153,000. That's did, a lot of money. If you did 15 versus 30, okay? The other people, the, the usual objection at this point is, yeah, but it's a lot larger payment every month. True. It's $792 more a month if you take a 15-year mortgage over a 30-year mortgage on a $350,000 loan. And But here's what I'll tell you. If you divide that savings by the 180 months that you're in the loan, that's actually you're actually going to save more than $792 a month. You'll actually be paying less, effectively less, by $62 than what you were paying if you continue to pay that 30-year mortgage. Yeah. So now what you do is you you said this right before right when we were getting off with Jerry, and I'll say this, and uh, this is my point, and, and then I'll move on. The American economy might start getting very used to these lower interest rates, and the other investments around us will have to adjust. And this is a if you get if you save sixty two dollars a month by putting seven hundred ninety two dollars down, that's another way of saying you've got a seven point eight return on your money. And if you do that, instead of putting the money into an IRA or betting on Apple to win or Amazon to win or Solar City to win, you've now taken control of what you can control and pay that mortgage down. It's that rate's Well, and don't forget what you can do. I mean, you how much is that 15-year mortgage payment? It's 240, uh, excuse me, $2,438. So year 16 through 30, <laughs> that's, that's the money that you've got in play to do up. anything else you want to do with. That's just a t- complete and total fringe benefit to kind of hunkering down and paying the piper for 15 years. Um and, you know, that's not the right fit for everybody. I get it. Some people it's just not. can't afford it. But if you're that spot, you know, I counseled a couple yesterday um, that household income was about $15,000 a month. And they're interested in having a house payment that was around $2,500 a month. Okay. I mean, that, that's pretty conservative. Yeah. Um, I get that. And, you know, and I'm not going to push them in any one way or another, but that's the kind of person that if they fully understand the math of what can be done in a 15 year, that there's some real power there. And and point being is it's really worth exploring. And the reason that we are always trying to encourage you guys just to call is because these are these programs and all these the programs are relatively um, they're static. 
You know, most loan officers know of the programs. Most loan officers know how to, to price a loan out. Most loan officers know how to get a loan from start to finish. One of the places that we're really unique is that we really want you to come in and sit down. You know, we want you to to get a full overview comparing what you have today with what options exist for you. And, and more so than just picking the loan term, but there are other factors at play here like your interest rate. Should you buy your interest rate down? Should you use your interest rate to finance your closing costs? You know, to kind of figure out what your objectives are and figure out how to best couple you into that loan program with the interest rate and closing cost structure that's going to meet your financial objectives. And the sad truth of it here, I've, I've worked before starting Central Coast Lending with Dan, I've worked for a variety of other lending institutions, uh, both locally and nationally. And I can tell you that most loan officers don't take that time because the simple fact that they're, they're not confident enough in getting down into the, the details um, to really be able to, to be a good educator and to have a client participate in those conversations and still be able to lead them. They take the more kind of carpool fast lane approach of, well, this is what it is. And this is what you can get. And, and do you want to do this or not? And instead of taking that time and figuring out how really uniquely these products and, and the pricing of these products could be used to accomplish the objectives of an individual or a household. Um, so that that's my call to you guys. If you're, if you have a loan with your interest rate higher than 4%, if you have a loan with mortgage insurance, if you have a second lien on your house, that's adjustable rate. If your first is adjustable or interest only, if there's any of these attributes where you're feeling like, you know, that's me, I should probably reach out, make the phone call and see if I can, you know, figure out a better way to do what I'm doing. Um, it's a no pressure thing. We're not a, a company that's trying for the hard sell. What we're trying for is a high quality of service. Have you come in? Let's do a custom fit for you. See what we can accomplish. If these things make sense to you and you want to give it a whack, call us 543-LOAN, which is 543-5626. That number rings all of our offices. Otherwise, you can find us on the web at centralcoastlending.com. We'd love to hear from you, love to help you. Maybe you're one of those people we can help save 150 grand or help retire five years early. Uh, be great for all of us. So reach out. Have a great week, you guys. We'll be back next week with another episode of Mortgage Matters. Thanks for being with us.